Welcome to the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is an online organization and resource center supporting a diverse workforce on the water. With a group of seafarers from the maritime and offshore energy industries, I started Women Offshore last year. First, as a blog to reach out to women around the world. You see, women only make up 4% of the offshore energy industry and 2% of the maritime industry. I've worked on ships for 10 years and I've often wished to know more women on the water and have a place, even online, to go to where I could ask questions about my career. You're tuning in to episode two of the Women Offshore podcast. If you're listening to this on our website, you can now subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a rating or a review, or send us a message at hello at womenoffshore.org. Our most popular article on women offshore is about three women who work on a research vessel that surveys the world's oceans. Today, we meet up with the chief officer on board, Elena Bassiano, to talk career goals and challenges on her quest to be a captain. Elena works on the USNS Henson, an oceanographic research vessel. She's the chief mate and a licensed U.S. Coast Guard unlimited tonnage master. This is an impressive feat for anyone to achieve, but especially for someone at the age of 30. Chief Officer Bastiano was inspired to work on the water by her grandfather, a merchant mariner of World War II. When Bastiano was just 10 years old, he introduced her to the World War II Liberty ship, the SS John W. Brown. From that point forward, young Bastiano was hooked. In seventh grade, Elena knew what she wanted to do with her life. She set out her career plan, and that was to start at the United States Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York. After graduating from Kings Point in 2009, Bastiano worked on tankers, container ships, articulated tugs and barges, and inland tugboats. Today, I'm pleased to bring Elena on the Women Offshore podcast to talk about her career, some challenges she's overcome, and what it was like achieving her master's license at such an early age in her career. Welcome, Elena. Thank you so much for having me. Elena, you were drawn to work on the water from a very early age. Tell us more about that. What was your experience like getting into the industry? Absolutely. I actually love answering this question because I love promoting the reason why I am where I am today. When I was very young, my grandparents would invite my family to a Christmas party on a ship that they volunteered on uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we used to go and have food, and they'd have little presentations and whatnot. And it was the time for the crew's family to come on and see what they were uh, up to on the weekends. And uh, I would always try to help my grandmother prepare the food in the galley and work in the uh, the ship's gift shop and whatnot. And she always said, oh, I was too young, I was too young. But apparently 10 years old was a great age to start. Uh, and when I was 10, I received a... Uh, volunteer membership from my grandparents and I started to volunteer on um, it's a liberty ship from World War II uh, SS John W. Brown 
There are two left operating in the United States. Uh, the other one is in San Francisco, the Jeremiah O'Brien, and it's 100% uh, ran by volunteer crew, and it's still fully operational. Everything works. It's a, it's a very exciting thing. So when I was 10 years old, I, I began to volunteer, and I basically grew up with a bunch of uh, merchant mariners uh, from World War II. They they basically raised me and, and taught me the ways. I started in the galley and the ship's door, and then I got quickly got tired of that and moved to the deck department. And uh, there were a lot of uh, academy grads uh, that were volunteers, including the current uh, captain of the John Brown, who was a King's Pointer. Uh, my sister was also involved. She's four years older than me, and when it became time for her to start looking into colleges and whatnot, she uh, went straight to uh, Kings Point. And uh, just like her, uh, I only applied to Kings Point when the time came, and, and thank goodness I was accepted because I didn't really have a backup plan. Um, so I decided that in, in seventh grade I was going to go there, and I made it happen. I, I received a, an early acceptance in December of 2004, graduated high school 2005, and uh, I went to Kings Point and, and uh, graduated with the full intention of sailing as a merchant mariner, and it was kind of my way of giving back to the the World War II veterans that I grew up with and you know, I have so much respect for those guys, and, and I always tell everybody they're my whole heart, and um, the things that, the stories that they told me growing up, and the things that I learned on there were valuable, and I don't think anybody else um, could get the experience that I did uh, out in the commercial world these days on such an old ship, and um, with just the, the, probably the saltiest people left <laughs> on on Earth. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're few and far between these days, and much of, um, of the crew has passed away, but we still keep it running and operational. I'm still an active member today, but uh, they basically were my, my uh, great influence between them and my sister. So your sister, Karen, is a pilot in New York. We recently featured her on Women Offshore. Would you say that you followed your sister's footsteps into the maritime industry? And a lot of people say I followed in my sister's footsteps. I, I did, but we just happened to like the same things. I didn't really, I think much, much more of my influence came from the John Brown. And uh, like I said, I'm still active today. So holds a special place in my heart. And um, it's definitely, definitely why I'm here today. So Now, what was it like growing up on the John W. Brown? I imagine it was quite the educational experience for a young kid. Absolutely. A major thing that I, I uh, gained from working with these guys is uh, they didn't, <laughs> they definitely didn't hold back with uh, the things that they said in front of me. I was pretty primed to uh, <laughs> the mouth of a sailor, I guess, <laughs> growing up. And uh, if I if I told you some things right now that that I was told when I was twelve and thirteen years old, you'd you'd probably have a heart attack. But <laughs> um, it was definitely it was good though. I, I was definitely ready. To go out there and you know ex what to expect from from people being out there and whatnot. Um, it, it's actually kind of funny. They grew up in a in a world without women in the industry at all, and um, I, I never felt that that was ever an issue or, or anything with them. So, you know, the the respect as I moved 
picked up through the ranks actually that that they showed me which I was I felt completely unworthy because these guys like you know they were on ships that were getting attacked by U-boats and and you know kamikazes and everything else um but you know they're oh, they're just fantastic what an amazing experienced group of people to work with i bet that was such an honor do you have any sea stories you could share with us from that time a funny story actually so my very first job as a third mate uh, unpaid obviously <laughs> um but the very first time sailing on my license uh was on the john brown and we we took a, a trip down from baltimore to norfolk to kind of show off the ship in that area and then uh, do a, a living history cruise down there and and uh, everything so uh i was a third mate on the I believe it was on the 8 to 12 watch and it was dark outside and we were cruising down the bay there was a cargo ship off in the distance and we were pretty close to the edge to give them enough room um up the channel um and we we were a very light draft ship so we were we were kind of off to the side and there was a you know like I said there was another ship coming towards us and uh, I was up there with a very knowledgeable a retired Chesapeake Bay pilot, and uh, one of the volunteers was on the wheel. Uh, his name is Ernie, and the the pilot likes to chat a lot, so he was kind of telling me the history of the area and and some various things about where we were. And the helmsman was trying to tell me something um, over over the pilot's story. And uh, eventually I heard what he was saying. He said he lost control of the wheel. He said that the ship, um, the rudder wasn't responding. So the pilot finally heard this. He kind of checked out the situation. And we were up on the flying bridge at this point. The visibility is much better up there than in the wheelhouse on the uh, John Brown because that was made for battle, actually. They have three small windows uh, in the in the forward end of the wheelhouse. So. We're going down the bay, we're on the edge of the channel, this cargo ship is coming towards us, and we lose steering. Well, the pilot gets on the radio, hails the cargo ship, and he says, we lost the rudder. And I knew what he meant, but for some reason, I turned around to look behind the ship as if the rudder would be floating off in the distance or something. And... um <laughs> And then I immediately went down uh, below, on the deck below the flying bridge is where the captain's quarters are. So I went and woke up the captain. I said, we lost the rudder. And him and his son, who um, is actually in the maritime ministry as well, were sitting there, and they just kind of looked at me. And then I continued on the way, and I went down to tell the chief engineer. Um, when, I, <laughs> when I came back to the bridge, Everyone was picking on me because I used the same verbiage as the pilot and told everyone that we had lost the rudder. And here's half the crew standing over on the side of the ship looking, looking for the rudder like I had, as if it was floating away. Um, it turns out that the old telemotor that the Liberty ships were built with, uh, something was messed up in the hydraulics. So the captain actually figured it out and fixed the situation. But they uh, they picked on me for a long time after that. They said that I had broke the ship on my very first watch and that I had lost the rudder. The rudder had fallen off, which wasn't the case at all. It just uh, it was responding. It was just a little bit harder to steer. And then we you know we obviously fixed the situation and you know we got a wide berth from the cargo ship that was 
um, heading up the bay, and we were fine. We ended up maintaining our um, uh, position on the edge of the channel, so it, it turned out fine. But I still get crap for that today, so that was, that was kind of a funny story. But that was my very first time as a third mate uh, failing on my license, and, and that's what happened. So <laughs> That's a great visual. I can just see in my head a bunch of people looking down the side of the ship, Wondering where the rudder went. (laughs) That's hilarious. So at a young age, you set out a goal for yourself to go to the United States Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York for your college education. For anyone who's listening and is unaware of what the Merchant Marine Academy is, it is a military school. It's one of our federal academies in the United States. And it's also a maritime school. You have a commitment when you graduate to spend eight years in the Naval Reserve. And uh, it's not easy for a lot of people. So tell us about that. Were you nervous? Were you excited to go there? Yes. So when I was accepted, I was ecstatic. It was, it was a fantastic time. Uh, my sister and I were actually in Norfolk coincidentally, about to go on a cruise over Christmas time with our family. And I got the phone call from admissions. We celebrated right there with all the guys that were collecting the luggage <laughs> for the cruise ship and uh, continued to celebrate throughout the cruise. So that was a good time. But uh, after I got accepted, um, I started to get a little nervous. Of course, when I went there, we had to cut our hair. So that was uh, that was exciting. <laughs> I never had short hair in my life when, um, since I was born, basically. So that was a new thing. Um, when we, when I got to Kings Point, I remember the very first day I was terrified. And you would think because I had an older sister that had just graduated that I'd be really prepared. But really the only thing she taught me was how to square a corner. And she told me that no matter what I did during our indoctrination period, I was going to be wrong. Even if I knew I was right, I was wrong. So just to get over that. So that was really the only advice she gave me, which the latter was very helpful. But, you know, I feel like she could have told me a little bit more. <laughs> so I was super nervous. And um, after induct, started to get into the swing of things. And plea beer was pretty difficult for me for a number of reasons. Um, academics were very difficult. Um we had an average of 18 to 22 credits in a 12-week trimester, so that was pretty grueling. And that's when you get all the math and the science classes out of the way. So I made it through plebe year, and after that, we started to get into the, the more deck-oriented maritime-type classes. I actually enjoyed what I was doing. Uh, sea year came along. That was very exciting. Uh, I was very nervous to get on my first ship. I was on three container ships while I was at Kings Point and uh, one MSC oiler, so I kind of had a a decent um, array of experience from different types of ships. I went to the Far East, Hawaii, the Middle East, all over the Med, uh, India, a little bit of Africa, so I got to see a lot of the world. That was very exciting. Graduation came, and, you know, looking back, I, I think it was some of the toughest times in my life, but also some of the the most exciting and best times in my life. The memories that you make there, are, uh, you look back at the time, they're probably some of the worst, but you look back and they're, they're quite comical now. Um, but I'm very proud to have been from King's Point, and I think all the hard work was, was worth it, and, and the experience you get getting out on commercial ships is invaluable. Since graduating from the United States Merchant Marine Academy, 
What have your career goals been like and have you been able to achieve them? The goal first became to get a job. So those were pretty hard to come by in 2009. Um, and then, then my goal became to advance on my unlimited license and to ultimately earn my um, unlimited master's license. Um, I have reached that goal in November of this year. I submitted my application and received my uh, unlimited master's license. Um, and I never thought that I would want to sail on it, but as soon as I got it, um, I received a lot of encouragement from my coworkers and also saw that the opportunity wasn't as far off as I expected it to be. So um, I think my newest goal will be to sail on my master's license. Um, so I plan to stick with the tags vessels, and that would probably be um, the the types of vessels that I, I would probably have a shot at sailing master on. <laughs> um, other than that, the ultimate or the other goal I would say that I have um, is to go to Antarctica. <laughs> I really want to go on a ship to uh, McMurdo. I think that would be a very exciting and uh, different adventure since I don't deal with a lot of ice in the South China Sea. It's usually pretty hot there. I think that would be uh, just really cool and something else that, you know, I think a lot of my goals are based on how, how tough the challenge is, how few people get to achieve these goals or even have the opportunity to, to strive for these goals. That's why going to Antarctica would be kind of high up there on my list after Sailing Master. So satisfied with my career if I get those two, <laughs> two goals accomplished. Alina, that's incredible. I think it's especially impressive that you obtained your captain's license before you turned 30. Congratulations. And I look forward to you becoming a captain one day. So in order to get your captain's license, you had to study for your chief mate exams first. What was that like? Do you have any advice for someone who is just thinking about studying for their chief mates, taking the classes? What would you recommend they do to go about doing that? Well, I waited a pretty long time before I started taking chief mate classes, I would recommend to all the third mates, second mates out there to start the process as early as possible, kind of chip away slowly at the classes that are required. They're actually quite fun once you get into them and uh, you learn a lot. They're good to even even for just taking back out to your your regular ship you you learn enough to, you know, utilize out in the industry, you know, as opposed to just taking them to pass the test. So they're useful. They're kind of fun. You you actually get to see a lot of people um, that you went to school with. You meet a lot of new people there in the process. So it's actually, it's, it's quite a fun time. But I, uh, I waited a pretty long time until I started taking my classes. And uh, I actually spent 10 weeks on two of my vacations, so a total of 20 weeks taking classes and uh, and then studying for the test. Uh, I personally felt that the tests were very difficult. Uh, I'm not a very good test taker. I studied very, very hard for them. I ended up knocking them out of the park in the end, but um, it was a very stressful time. A lot of junior mates don't realize there's actually two more tests to take than your uh, third and second mate exams. So there's seven 
when you get your third mate's license, there's nine for your chief mate masters. And then after that, the biggest challenge is getting the chief mate job to get the time in to get your masters. Um, it, it's it's definitely worth it, I think, and and I definitely recommend to everyone to strive for that. It takes a lot of hard work and and time off, and the last thing anyone wants to do on their vacation is more work and study in school, but it's very much worth it. Looking back at your career now, are there any challenges you'd be willing to share with us and how you overcame them? Yes, absolutely. I think anyone in the industry um, will come across this challenge. You work with people from all over the world. They may be United States citizens, but they are usually born overseas somewhere. I've worked with people from the country of Georgia, Philippines, uh, Nigerians. I've worked with people from all over the world. It's a challenge to learn their ways of thinking. They, they, They just perform tasks differently. In some cases, their views on women are uh, not the same as as we have in the United States. Language, uh, everyone is required to speak English. However, for a lot of these people, uh, English is their second language. It's hard to communicate things. And when you're in uh, tough situations and you need to get things done, you know, maybe a little faster or more efficient in, in in order to assure that, you know, everything goes through more smoothly and safely, um, it, it becomes a challenge. And um, being an officer in general, just coming out there and, you know, even if you're a third mate, um, you may not be in charge of the deck gang, but you still have NAB on watch with you. Um, or even you may even have to deal with the ordinary seaman. And, you know, it, it becomes a challenge to get points across or to execute tasks a certain way or, um, you know, mooring a ship can be dangerous. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to encourage people rushing things, but sometimes you have to move with a sense of urgency and, and to communicate what you need uh, to get done in that manner sometimes is a challenge. So that's definitely one of the biggest challenges. Since we're on the topic of challenges, have you ever felt that being a female in the industry was a challenge for you? As far as being a female in the industry, um, I've noticed the the most common theme is I have to really prove myself uh, to a lot of people to prove that I am worthy and that I can I can accomplish certain tasks and I can really do my job as I should. But um, I think the the biggest thing is people people tend to be a little standoffish with me when they first meet me. They're kind of trying to feel me out. But once they you know once you get to talking to them and you know, they, they hear hear me say certain things that <laughs> they probably don't expect to come out of, you know, this little little lady's mouth. But I am a sailor, and I told you I grew up with a bunch of old salt. So, you know, they, they lighten up, and they learn that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here as a, the same reason as them to do my job and to do it well. And, you know, I usually don't have any issues. Recently, you were featured on Women Offshore's website, with some fellow crew members, you work on board an oceanographic research vessel where the captain, you the chief mate, and the second mate are all women. You've also had quite a few other women on board in different positions. Tell us what that's like working on a ship with so many women. We know that the maritime industry is just 2% women, so it's pretty rare to find a ship with that many women on board. Yeah, so when I first joined um, Henson, I was 
either the only female um, crew member or maybe we had a storekeeper or somebody else on board um, who was also a female. But there's very rarely were there more than two of us, uh, not including the uh, contingency of scientists that we carry on board. There's usually a few females involved um, with them. Um, but as the years went on, we started to um, acquire a lot of females, and they stuck around, which was nice. We never really had a permanent rotating captain with the captain that's been on the ship for a long time, Captain Jalot. Um, he's been on Henson for probably over 12 years now. Um, but he was really um, pushing for Captain Kristen Mangold, to join the crew when her ship was um, laid up. And sure enough, she came on board and joined. And after that, that um, we just we just started to get all these women on board. And I it, it was not planned or anything. It just became a coincidence. Um, at one point, we had seven female officers, third mate, second mate, chief mate, captain, second assistant, and third assistant engineers. Um, and then for a few days, um, but we, we definitely took a picture during these few days, um, the entire bridge crew, including the radio officer, was all females. That is pretty incredible. As you know, I work in offshore energy on a ship where there are hardly any women. I recently did a voyage from Cape Town, South Africa to the U.S. We had 147 people on board and only two of us were women. I imagine being on a ship like yours, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I was very nervous at first to to sail with so many women, but it's actually a lot of fun. And we have a lot of really cool and very different um, women on board. And it's it's sometimes it's just nice to have another lady around. <laughs> you know, we, we still have a lot of crew members that come back and um, including the male uh, crew members. And I think everyone just loves it. We have, we have a really good time on board, actually. So it is a lot of fun. It's nice. All right, Elena, one more question for you. Do you have any advice you would give someone just starting out in the industry? Well, my biggest piece of advice is to be humble and to realize that no matter what position you hold on the ship, you can learn something from anyone. You can learn something from the cook. You, you don't know his past or his or her experience, but that's the biggest thing is you you know you're not don't don't act like you're above everybody and and just realize that you can learn so much from everyone out there. You have people from all walks of life. Um, again, you don't know their backstory. I I always I earn the respect of the bosuns. I think by by telling them you know, hey, you know more than me about this. You take it from here, that kind of thing. And I'm a chief mate. And, it, you know, it depends on the situation. But it, it, it really says a lot to people if you could just remain humble. And also, um, I always like to tell all of my, I say my guys, whether they're female or male, um, I like to tell all my guys to always do the right thing. It It may not be the easy thing, or the most convenient thing to do, but to always try to do the right thing because you can never get yourself in trouble if you just try to do the right thing. With the the thinking of the El Faro and all these disasters um, within the Navy and stuff, um, 
I really try to, I read a lot about these incidences and I try to learn from them. And it, it really is just so important to realize that there are people's lives in your hands. No matter what position you hold on a ship, they're, they're all very important positions. Everyone plays a role. And if everyone just tries to do the right thing all the time, we can, we can really avoid a lot of these uh, disasters at sea. And uh, the final piece of advice I can give is just to have pride in your work. Accomplish each task whether it seems menial or not, with with pride so that you can say, I did that. Uh, a lot of things I'm, or a lot of people that come out these days, I, I see a lot of people just trying to just get something done for the sake of getting it done. And I, I try to teach them, hey, you know, you're just painting a bit, but, you know, somebody will walk by and say, man, that, that's a really good paint job. And you can say, well, I did that. I painted that, you know. As opposed to, huh, well, I guess the bit's painted. Uh, it doesn't look very good, but uh, it's painted. You know, it's done. Um, I, I, I think you'll earn respect that way. Say a lot about you to people and, you know, just put pride in your work. And if people see that you're just trying and, and you, you want to do your best, it, it'll get you very far in, in this industry for sure. That's great advice and a great way to end episode two of the Women Offshore podcast. Thanks so much, Alina, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast, episode two. What did you think of today's episode? Send us an email, hello at womenoffshore.org, or leave us a rating and review in iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe out there and we'll talk to you soon.